Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and as always, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. We had a slight impromptu uh, bit of an interruption in our time of recording. Unfortunately, for those that don't know, uh, my mother was dealing with some heart issues that are since clearing up very well. Um, For anyone that reached out on Twitter, I want to thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. Um, We're past that. We're turning the corner. Things are looking really good. I'm very excited for that. And also very excited to get back into this draft class and get breaking down uh, these trench players that we got here. We're going to go through the offensive and defensive lines today. Uh, Probably one of my favorite positions to scout. I don't know about yourself, Matt, but running back and trench players are my candy. Yeah, not just yours. Uh, Also, J.D. and Salas. Yeah, they're they're going to be looking heavily uh, up front to, to fill the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. There's are some gaps that need to be filled in on both sides of the ball. Uh, We're going to start out on the offensive side, um, start with the offensive tackles. Uh, First things first, really why as good as the top three offensive tackles are, why it really doesn't make sense for the Jets to be going after them. So the top three offensive tackles in this class, I think in any order you want to put them is up for debate. Uh, We both agree that they're all fairly Fairly fantastic, and any three of them are going to be quality starters in the NFL, being Ike McQuanu from North Carolina State, Evan Neal from Alabama, and Charles Cross from Mississippi State. Um, All three of them have varying degrees of strengths and weaknesses and uh, polish and less polish to their game, but all of them are solid tackle prospects, and that's not the problem. The problem is, is that the Jets have two starting tackles already, and these guys are so good that they're probably not going to last until the 10th pick. If so, maybe one of them. and Right now, Makai Becton and George Fan are both on the roster. They're competing for the left tackle spot. All indications are that the other will be the starting right tackle. We have no reason to take a tackle that highly when we have a glaring need for another defensive end on the other side of the ball, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit. But Matt, I'm sure you agree with me here. As good as these tackles are, And that, again, isn't the problem. It would just be a bad use of resources. When the Jets won four games last year, they need their top Mm -hmm. five pick to be a contributor and a starter immediately. I agree, yeah. Um, There's absolutely no way I want to 
take a tackle as insurance uh, at number four. I feel like, like, like you said, that's a complete waste of resources. We have so many needs on this team, uh, starting needs, never mind the right. depth that we need to fill in. Uh, to take a tackle at four wall, like you said, we have Fant and Becton already on the roster. Uh, it, it's just criminal if we if we did that. Uh, I understand people really love Ikem, and, and with good reason. They, with good reason, yeah, he he very much should be going in yeah, the top. He's five. overtaken Neil as my OT one. It's taken a while, but his technique is, and I think his finishing ability are. Are, are what separates him. And even still, I think he'd be great on either side. I don't think it's a matter of what he needs to play left tackle or he needs to play right tackle. I think he's going to be a fantastic player, but I don't think he's going to start for the Jets year one solely because of the tackles they already have on the roster and they need their fourth pick to contribute. Exactly. And the only way this happens is if they trade Fant or Beckton beforehand. And yeah. I think this is just making a problem that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say Fant, Act, uh, wins the left tackle spot and he plays well this year. Well, they're probably going to extend him then. Uh, I would almost say, guarantee it. I almost guarantee it. Let's say if Becton uh, gets hurt again or misses a lot of time uh, and, be, and isn't that reliable, he probably uh, would be playing right tackle anyways. So we would just be looking for a right tackle next year. We found Moses in May and he was a very effective right tackle for us. Uh, I think we can even still find probably a vet tackle uh, to be a backup. If that's all we're looking for is a nice veteran backup, great. We can find that on the streets right now. Uh, we don't need to draft it at four. We can even look further in the back of this draft uh, at options for tackle. Uh, there's, there's definitely got that there that we can take. Uh, I Again, don't look at four to fill this need. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it is a need. They do need depth at the position. And while we're not sure how George Fant is going to play, either he is going to perform very, very well, win the left tackle spot, have another great season, and likely end up with a very big contract from the Jets. And if not, he'll get a very big contract from somebody else. And Mackay Becton will either sink or swim at right tackle or vice versa. But right now, while it is a need for depth, it isn't a need for immediate contribution. And when you're a team that won four games and you have a top five pick and you're going to use that top five pick and not trade it, you have to get one of the few impact players this class has. This class is very deep. It is not very top heavy. So a lot of people would say, okay, so trade down, get as much ammo as you can and acquire a bunch of mid-round assets. That makes sense too. But on the other side, the Jets are still devoid of talent. They're still lacking overall premium talent just in general all over the roster. After years of bad drafting and free agency signings from McCagnan to Idzik, they basically had nothing when Joe Douglas got here. They still need talent on this team that's going to be playing right away, making them better immediately. And they have a wide open hole at defensive end and a bunch of top guys at the position that I think after, quite honestly, I think after the top three, there is a gap. And if you don't get one of those guys, it's going to be a lot different of a situation, hoping that one of them falls to 10 or hoping that one of them falls to 35 for the second tier pass rushers. And not to go off on too much of a tangent, it just doesn't make sense to use that premium of an asset at offensive tackle for a guy that's going to be a backup. So 
I think that's a good transition for us to get into the mid-round options and offensive tackle, because I do think that it's likely the Jets will draft one. It just won't be until the mid-rounds or so. So that's going to lead me to my first guy. Um, and this is someone that I think could very much be in play for the Jets at tackle as he could potentially be in play for the Jets at center. And that is Zach Tom at Wake Forest. Um, Zach Tom was a late watch for me. But he has been one of my favorite players in this class ever since I first turned his tape on. He's a little bit undersized. It's not egregious. He's about 6'4", about 300 on a good day. Um, Very agile, very quick on his feet, very balanced, um, good out of his stance, able to track down linebackers well. He gave Jermaine Johnson fits. And Mm -hmm. we know how much we both love Jermaine Johnson. So if you're giving Jermaine Johnson fits, then we're going to be interested. Uh, When they played FSU last year, this was probably the best tackle that Jermaine faced. And Jermaine got him a few times, to be fair. But Tom more than held his own, especially in the run game. And was being able to, the one thing that JJ JJ does so well is stack and shed. To counter that, I was really impressed with. I like him a lot. If he's there at the top of the third round and they filled out some other needs, I'd be all over it. Yeah, I I love Tom as well. Um, And he checks all the boxes that you look for. with the short shuttle of uh four four seven, he had an yeah, under his testing uh, five was awesome. forty run outside yeah, of his he, size. His testing was great. He he killed the combine, uh, and yeah, I think his his arm length is probably a little short for me uh, at the next level. I think longer edges uh, might give him a little bit more trouble. But then again, like we said, he did pretty well against Jermaine, and Jermaine and is Jermaine's very long. long as heck. Yeah, so it uh, uh, could all be just analytics talking when on the, t- the tape says otherwise. Uh, so, but he can very much hold his own outside. I think he can be even better inside. Uh, I think he can kick into guard or even play center uh, and be all world there uh, in the mid rounds in the third or fourth round. I think he's a great option. Um, he can come right in and be the depth that we need all along the offensive line. Um, I'm a big fan of Tom. Yeah, his tape, and I mean this with no hyperbole, this is 100% how I feel, and this is going to be reflected in my offensive tackle grades. His tape is better than Trevor Penning's. Uh, I, I, yeah, I would say that as well. I don't really like Penning that much. I don't either. I think he's a little bit of a workout warrior, and I think he's a little bit overrated not to go too much on a guy we were not highlighting, but this can be a topic. <laughs> is Trevor Penning an option for the Jets? I say no way. Because regardless of what his testing shows on tape, he looks uncoordinated. He struggles getting to his landing spot. Uh, He plays with a lot of violence and a lot of aggression, and he has a lot of highlight blocks, but it doesn't do much functional for him in terms of what the scheme is asking. And there was a rep he had at the senior bowl where it looked like a highlight where he's snatching and trapping a defensive end, trying to dip and he throws him into Desmond Ritter's ankles. And apparently Robert Sala chewed his tail out for that. So I'm sure the Jets are going to remember that and they're not going to want their second year quarterback potentially getting hurt by having offensive linemen have thrown defensive players into their ankles. Um, Yeah. Trevor Penning, not for me, Zach Tom all day long. I don't know if he's going to make it to the fourth round because I think his tape is so good that he's just going to go earlier. Yeah. I mean, I I originally had a fourth round grade on him, but yeah, I, I feel like I'm overestimating the talent ahead of them uh, of right. ahead of where I have ahead of them uh, in the third and second round. And I feel like inside offensive linemen of his stature uh, and experience will definitely go a little bit higher. So yeah, I think the third round is probably a nice comfortable landing spot for him. That's about where I'd put him. 
he'd probably in my rankings, he'd be in the top 50, but I don't know if that means he'd get drafted in the top 50, just because like you mentioned, it is a little bit of a question of the size, but that's yeah. about the only question with him where if he was a little bit bigger, if he was six, five and, and three fifteen and had longer arms, he's a first round pick. Yeah, absolutely. And historically, if you have a lineman that runs uh, a, a short shuttle of four, four, seven or lower and runs under a, a five second 40, these are the guys you really want to invest in. Uh, they, they have a high hit rate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's staggering that those two metrics, when you put those two together, how many guys not only go on to be quality offensive linemen, but some of the best linemen in the league. It's true. Yeah. All right. That's going to get to our next guy here, Matt, who do you want to highlight for uh, offensive tackle depth? Uh, I love Godecki from, uh, from central Michigan. Central Michigan. Yep. Uh, I like him more than his counterpart in, in, in Raymond. Me too. Uh, I was watching uh, Raymond and then I just kept my eyes just kept drifting over to the right side and seeing Godecki just being extra sticky, uh, whether he's just mirroring uh, edge rushers go, trying to go outside. He, he's got the, the footwork. He's got the, the, the length to really keep him at bay. Uh, and then he's got good change of direction for uh, inside counters. Um, he's got good strength uh, to hold up uh, his anchors pretty good um i like him a lot uh i have him as with a second round grade uh i think he'll go Same a lot here. higher than most people have him right now he's not really being talked about a lot uh and i'm fine with that i i think that's a good thing i'd rather him not get talked about a lot and maybe drop a little bit uh if he does drop into the third i would take him in a second uh but if in the second is probably where i have him graded though yeah, I, I really like him, too. Like you said, I actually think he is better than Bernhardt Ryman. Um, and not that Ryman is bad. I think that there's a lot of potential there, but that's what you're betting on with him, is you're betting on potential. This is a guy that came to Central Michigan as a tight end and just kept getting bigger and bigger, so they put him in offensive tackle. He's still learning the position. He's a great athlete for it. The measurables are enticing. Seeing how his body has transformed is definitely encouraging, and I think there's a good chance he's a better pro than he is a college player. But right now, Godecki is knows how to play tackle. Godecki's been playing tackle. He's seasoned in it. And you can just tell in his tape with his technique and his balance and his quickness and his feet and his mirroring, like you mentioned, he's so much more aware and just better at playing the position right now than Ryman is. And it's to be expected, considering Ryman's a converted tight end. But yeah, he's definitely getting slept on. Um, I have a second round grade on him as well. I think he's an easy starter at right tackle for whatever team drafts him with. If you need him to start, he can, I think he can grow into a really solid starter. Uh, if he's your depth, you have some really, really good depth. And exactly. I could not, I could not mention the central Michigan Chippewas without bringing up their running back Lou Nichols, uh, the third who led the mm -hmm. FBS in rushing this past year for anyone. Just, just remember a year from now, if you want to know who the next Jonathan Taylor is, it's Lou Nichols of central Michigan. I said it a year ago. Just remember. <laughs> Noted. All right. Yep. Noted. <laughs> oh yeah. No. Kid, kid is kid is fan freaking tastic. Absolutely fantastic. Lou Nichols is going to be fighting for the running back one spot in next year's draft. And yes, I know Bijan Robinson will be included. Uh, so now going back to Godek, or just the talking point of having depth at offensive tackle. Do you think second round is too high? to go for depth at offensive tackle. 
we, we were definitely saying that pick four was too high. Mm-hmm. Now is the second round also too high? Yes, and here's why. Because the way I look at this draft right now, and we've been saying this for a handful of months, the Jets still have four immediate starter needs they have to fill. They need another defensive end. They need another wide receiver. They need a defensive tackle, and they need a safety. How about linebacker? I think I'm not going to put linebacker in that group because I still think Quincy has potential. I think you're getting Mosley for another year. When I'm saying immediate starters, I'm saying there is a gap on the depth chart right now. So uh, who's right our, now, our third? Uh, who's who's our Sam? Um, probably Sherwood or Hamza. That's it's yeah, an it option. It's I'm I'm not ruling it out. It's certainly one of the needs. But if anything, you're adding to my point that there's another position that you might need a starting player at. And I think you have to fill out the remaining starting positions on your roster before you can start attacking your depth. Ideally, if Absolutely. the perfect player falls and the value is too good to pass up and go duckies there at 69, then by all means, I don't care what other needs you have. That's too good of a value. But I really think that in any, in some combination of ways, the Jets' first four draft picks are going to be at a defensive end, a receiver, a defensive tackle, and a safety. I agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly my thoughts. The second round is still too high to start filling uh, depth positions for questions that might already be answered. Yeah, so that's going to lead me to my last guy here that I think is actually a guy that has a chance to be there in the third round, where the other two guys we've talked about were hoping they would get there. We're assuming the Jets could fill other needs first, and then if this guy's there with that third-round pick, we think it's an easy selection. Abraham Lucas from Washington State likely will be there at 69, at least from well everything that I've understood. That's about where I'm seeing his range, is about top 75, give or take. So there's a much better chance... Yep, there's a much better chance that he is there at almost the 70th overall pick than Ryman, uh, Godecki, or Zach Tom, or any of those guys. And for a guy that held his own decently well against Kayvon Thibodeau, he's not getting talked about enough. And the game when they played against each other, granted it was Thibodeau's first game back from his ankle injury, I'm pretty sure, so that does have a bit of an impact, but Kayvon's a lot stronger than he gets credit for. And is able to use his power a lot better than he gets credit for. And Lucas did a good job holding up against that. Um, I like the potential that he has. I'm. This is just solely how my brain works. I'm worried about Washington State offensive tackles because Andre Dillard burned me so bad. But they are nothing. They're not identical players. They don't have exactly the same play styles. That's an unfair comparison by me, and it's not one that I'm officially making. But it's always in the back of my head. Is I'm like, I want to like him, but Andre Dillard was my ninth overall player that year. <laughs> I mean, it, when I look at Lucas, I see the size. He's what, 6'7, 319. Uh, but he's also got the athleticism. I think he's a great scheme fit. Uh, he moves very well. Um, he's, uh, he, he's able to mirror well. Uh, he's able to sink his hips and recover uh, if uh, there's a strong inside move. Um, I, I love it. I love him for this, for our scheme, for our team. Uh, he looks for work, which is something I love to see in offensive linemen. I want to see that those guys that, uh, when they have nothing to do, they look and find somebody to hit. Uh, yep. he's that kind of guy, uh, that, that fits what we want, uh, on our, on our, in our trenches, the, the dogs that really want to hit somebody. 
Right. And that's the the difference in functional aggression aggression and just outright aggression like a Trevor Penning, where a Trevor yeah. Penning is going to sit there and be like, I'm a dog. I just want to go out and hit everybody. And that's great that there, we want that attitude. We want finishers. We want nasty guys up front for sure. But there's got to be smarts behind it especially for offensive linemen. When you're a defensive lineman, you have a little more free reign to be a crazy person. You have a little more free reign to kind of freelance a little bit and do what you can to, to wreak havoc because that's kind of your entire goal. Offensive line is a lot more controlled. It's a lot more intentional. It's a lot more schemed and, and deliberate. So when you have a guy that's kind of freelancing or just kind of trying to make the most athletic wow plays as possible, it doesn't always show up. Lucas is a guy that has functional aggression where if he's not blocked, like you're saying, he'll look for work and he'll go and he'll help on a double team or he'll hit somebody from the side and knock him off balance. He's really aware at picking up stunts. And that was one of the other things that I put in my notes is that when he sees guys looping, he's always trying to communicate. And if a stunt is given up against Washington State to his side, it's likely because the guard didn't hear the pass off, not because he missed it up. Yeah, uh, I I like controlled aggression, like you're saying. I was, I was just looking at Penning's penalties. He had 16 mm-hmm. penalties this year. And there you go. That's insane. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely want control. I want the size. Uh, I want the movement skills. He's got it all. Uh, as a third rounder, I think we could do much worse. Uh, Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm totally on, bo- on board with that. Yeah, yeah, me as well. Um, I think, like we said, it's likely that they will take somebody. I don't know if it'll be that highly, but if it is, I think Abraham Lucas is a good shot to be the pick. I agree. All right, let's get to the interior here. Uh, This is going to be an interesting question because we agree again that the Jets need depth, but they don't need any starters. They got their starting right guard and free agency in Lake and Tomlinson, or excuse me, their starting left guard and free agency in Lake and Tomlinson. (laughs) And now their new starting right guard and Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, who's moving over. I'm going to have to remember that in my notes from now on because I have LG next to AVT in my head indefinitely. Um, (laughs) But they had their guards entrenched. And we also have Connor McGovern, who, by all indications, is planning to be the starting center. But there has been a handful of whispers from not only the beat, but from other teams around. And I even saw Mel Kuyper put this in a mock draft the other day. Not that I put too much stock into that, but the fact that it was included caught me off guard where the Jets have some interest at center. They've been talking to a lot of the center prospects. They've been keeping track um, with even some of the down the down the board guys. Uh, so this brings us to the question, is McGovern's spot really safe? Is this a situation where he is one without a doubt, 100% guaranteed the starting spot. And right now I'm not sure I can say that that's the case. I don't know. I think it takes, it'll, it'll take a, a crazy situation to happen. Well, yeah. maybe not too crazy. I, it, I think it would require Lindenbaum to fall the second round. If that happens, I start to think, that maybe it's a little too enticing not to pass up. Uh, but for the most part, I think that McGovern is kind of entrenched, though. Uh, I think that they want that uh, continuity along the offensive line. Uh, he's already got uh, kind of uh, he's gelled with, with guys around him like AVT. Uh, right. They're and only adding think, one new face to the line, technically. Exactly. I think more stability around him will make him a better center because it did once the the guard situation stabilized around him last year. The entire offensive line started to look a lot better. Uh, there was a lot less uh, uh, missed calls in the blocking. Uh, it, they just look like a more cohesive unit. So I think they want to at least 
stick with him for one more year. And the only way they'll pass on that is if they know they're getting better, which would mean Lindenbaum. Uh, I, other than that, I think they're looking for the mid rounds to maybe just find somebody that can develop into the future starter. Yeah. Yeah. I think you nailed it. Uh, that's exactly how I feel is that right now, Connor McGovern is the starter unless Tyler Winterbaum falls to 38. And then if he's there at 38, I think they'll have no choice but to take him. And it'll be the value will be too good. Joe Douglas is the offensive lineman. He fits the scheme perfectly. And the question with him you're worried about is size. And it is a question. And ability to handle power on the interior consistently. And that's also a question. But that's about it with Tyler Winterbaum. And he's shown that he can mitigate those weaknesses. As you're going to hear me say over and over uh, for as many years as this podcast continues, offensive linemen who are wrestlers get a boost in rankings. Oh, yeah. And Tyler Winterbaum was a a state champion wrestler, if I'm remembering correctly, um, in high school, where that's exactly right. Leverage, the ability to know how to move people, where to angle, the biomechanics and the balance it takes to be able to bend your back and hips and turn and flex and anchor. Linderbaum's got all of that. He's the perfect fit for our system from a center uh, and a natural wide zone scheme. Granted, I think the Jets are a little less pure wide zone than people think. They did a lot of different run concepts last year. And I think that's part of what makes Michael Floor different than Kyle Shanahan is that he's a little more willing to blend in other concepts in his run game. Um, but it's not like Linderbaum can't pull off those either. So I, if he's there at 35, it's going to be tempting. But like I said before, I think you have immediate starter needs to fill. If he's there at 38, I don't think I could pass him. Yeah, I, I'm, it's it's hard because in the, the back of my head now, um, thinking what if they want to replace him uh and it's not Linderbaum that they're thinking maybe it's strange because maybe they fell in love with him at the at the senior bowl and they see him as the future replacement for uh, McGovern uh and I don't believe he will last very long into the third round so what if if he gets to the third round, if he gets to the third round, maybe they try to trade back from 38 and uh, take him later in the second round uh, to be that replacement for McGovern while also getting more picks. If they're that confident, I wouldn't be surprised. I, the only thing that would hold me back personally is Cole strange has been playing guard. And so it would be a transition for him to be playing center not that I don't think he's capable, think he's more than capable of it, but we just have to admit the fact that Connor McGovern, who has been playing center in the NFL for years, would likely be immediately in terms of once we get to training camp, who's better. I would say at center, it would probably be Connor McGovern in a year or two down the road. It might be Cole strange, but I don't know if I would hand the reins over to Cole Strange immediately because this is such a pivotal year for Zach Wilson and because having stability on that offensive line is so important. If it's Linderbaum, I'm all for it because I know Linderbaum is going to be able to handle the checks. I know he has the smarts. I know he has the pass blocking chops. And I know in general that he's going to be plug and play. I'm confident that Strange can be plug and play as well at guard. I'm a little questionable at center, even though I think he'll get there. And I think that's why if I was making the selection, I'm not saying don't take Cole Strange, but he wouldn't start year one, if that makes sense. No, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, Linderbaum, yes. Uh, Strange, yeah, definitely would need a year. Uh, he would be great uh, depth 
uh, guard and center. Absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, take over the reins uh, next year once McGovern's contract's over. Uh, I, I completely agree. I, I sorry, I didn't mean trade back and then make him the starter, but yeah, that that's that's more. But if you're taking exactly someone in the about. second round and you're trading, even if you're trading back and you're taking them with a premium pick, you know, a top a mid second round pick is still likely to play. So it wouldn't be out of the range of possibility if they like him that much to expect that he would maybe get some reps in. But I don't. That's kind of the disconnect for me. That's why I think this is Linderbaum or bust. I think. They're as much as they probably do love Cole Strange. It's like we've been talking about with the offensive tackles. If he falls and he gets to 69 or he gets within striking range of a trade up, I could see that being a lot more likely than just taking him at 38th overall or 45th in a trade down or something along those lines. Agree. Uh, it really depends on what they do the picks before. Uh, if they right. take a lot of, if they fill a lot of those immediate needs. Uh, maybe they take a need like linebacker and push that a little bit because they're known for taking mid to uh, mid round linebacker uh, safeties, even and turning them into linebackers. So maybe they, they do that and uh, maybe they uh, address more of a depth position later in the second round uh, or even the early third. Uh, I, I could definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Um, that's going to lead me to my first guy officially on the interior offensive line crop. And that's a guy that I think will be there in the third round and potentially even a little bit later. And that's Cam Jurgens from Nebraska, um, pure center. He's only ever going to be able to play center in the NFL just because of his size. Um, and even then he's still small, even for centers, uh, smaller than Tyler Linderbaum even, but Holy heck is this guy quick. Holy heck. Can he oh, fire God. off the ball? Holy heck, can he get up to the second level? His knowledge of angles is great. Again, for the wide zone scheme, which is still the base of our offense, while Michael Ford does do some other stuff, it's still the base of our offense, and it's still going to be the, the linchpin of what they scout their offensive linemen for. He fits it to a T. He's the perfect type of guy to be able to reach block, get out in front on three techs, um, wall off the inside. Again, you're worried about him handing, handling power. Um and with him in particular, too, you're a little worried about overaggression because I think he's so quick mm -hmm. and he's so explosive that sometimes he can overrun his mark. But yeah. there's a lot to like here. And I could not mention Cam Jurgens without mentioning that he's an offensive lineman with his own beef jerky company called Beef oh. Jerky. <laughs> Stock uh, tremendously up. We, we should get a bag and try it out. Before oh, the yeah. Next, uh, beef Jerky Review <laughs> next week on OKD. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I completely agree, especially with the overaggression. Uh, he can fly to the second level, but sometimes it's ridiculous. just going crazy and he'll overrun uh, and the, the angles he'll take are just he'll just run himself out of position. Um, but, yeah, he's he's got all the, the workings there uh, of a, a wide zone center. Um, but again, now we're thinking, do we want a guy that's just a pure center? Uh, if we're taking depth, should we be looking for somebody that maybe has a little bit more variety? Can he also play guard? Can he maybe even kick out to play tackle? Uh, but with Jurgens, we, we not Jurgens. The, the answer is no. No, it is a hard no. He is a pure center through and through. And there's a lot of guys in the NFL that have been pure centers and played great at that spot. So it's not like that's always necessarily a knock. I think Tyler Linderbaum's a pure center. I think if you're drafting him to play something other than center, you're taking him away from what he's best at and you're not using his skills to their best ability. So it's not necessarily an automatic, you know, death sentence. 
but you would prefer some guys with a little more versatility, um, like Cade Bays at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that's played tackle, that's played guard, I think could kick into center, even though I think he'd be better at guard or tackle. Um, I love him as a depth piece in the fifth round if he's there. And I think there's a chance that he could be because the athletic potential with him, I think, is better than he tested. He was a five-star recruit coming out of high school for a reason. Uh, went, could go to any school he wanted to. Went to Georgia, played a handful of years at Georgia. He grew up in Knoxville uh, and so grad transferred to Tennessee for his last handful of years. Um, he'll play for his hometown volunteers. And he's battle-tested. Been in the SEC. Um, got the size, like I said. I think his balance is his biggest weakness. And that's something that you would naturally like to see improve, but there are ways to improve it. Some guys are naturally really balanced, but it's not like that's something you can't grow at. And it's not something that there aren't ways to get better at. I think he can improve his balance. And I think as a backup that can be a guard or a tackle in a pinch in the fifth round, you're not going to get much better. Yeah. He's got the experience at all five positions. Um, he's one, one thing that jumped out was his aggression uh, and and that dog mentality that we were talking about before. Oh, yeah. uh, he if you jump, he'll punish you. Uh, if, if he's uh, looking for work, he'll hit you. Uh, he he's got that that anger in his game that uh, that really jumps out. Yeah. Uh, he's a good hand fighter, um, and he's I, I think he'd definitely survive in a in a zone scheme. Uh, but like you were saying before, that we're not the most pure uh, wide zone. Uh, team, so I think he would fit in perfectly with what Lafleur would actually want to do. Yeah, I I love him as a depth piece that can learn under Benton and learn under some of the other guys we have and continue to round out his game. But he was a five star recruit for a reason. Uh, he played like a five star recruit for for a good portion of his career. Uh, he also had some injuries that slowed him down, but he seems to be decently healthy now. Um, is he the most ideal fit as a guard in a wide zone scheme? No. But the Jets run more trap than people think. The Jets run more power than people think. They run more. Uh, they run more split counters than people think. There's a bunch of other run plays that Cade Mays could run and execute really well, and I think he'd be a solid fit. But he's not a bad pass protector either. It's not the best part of his game by any means. I think pure movement off the ball is probably his biggest strength. But he's solid in pass protection with room to get better. I like him as an option a lot. Uh, last guy I want to talk about is a guy that I haven't heard anybody mention for the Jets. And if I'm the first one, then that's fine because a lot of people aren't going to think it's a fit, but I really do think there's a possibility here. And that is Jamari Sawyer at Georgia, uh, who is their right guard. Dude is a people mover. We want to talk about Iki Iquanu and, and how great he is at run blocking and pushing people off the ball and creating space. I think after him, in terms of pure run blockers, you're looking at Zion Johnson. And then you might have to have have Jamari Slayer within the top five, if not third. Just his ability to move people off their spot. He is so strong. He is so powerful. He doesn't give up ground. I, I think that that's a piece that you can put in on your offensive line. Again, depth, if he learns to grow and fit the scheme, if the Jets want to transition a little more away from their wide zone, this is a guy that's going to beat the hell up on whatever defensive tackle you put in front of him. He knocked Aiden Hutchinson on his damn keister on a pole when uh, Georgia played Michigan. Um, and it looked easy for him. So if, if Aiden Hutchinson's good enough to go first overall as a defensive end and Jamari Sawyer's putting him on his butt, I think he's going to be solid in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, 
he he's got the experience inside and out. Uh, he does look a little clunky sometimes, yeah. uh, but when he gets his hands on you, you're you're done. Uh, he's he's got that strength, um, and when he gets uh, gets that that first punch in, uh, you're, you're you're getting stopped in your tracks. Some of the heaviest hands in this draft. Yeah, when his so punches I, land, they make a you can hear it almost. Exactly, but I mean he is very stiff though, and especially in the lower half. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he does get caught lunging a lot. Uh, so there's definitely a lot to, to work on, uh, but there's enough strength there to, to really like, uh, but I think it's what I having a hard time wrapping my head around is where does he go? If he, I, I, I have a little bit later grade than maybe a lot of other people do. Uh, so I wouldn't take him too early. I would probably take him fourth or fifth. But I feel like a, a lot of people like him. Me. Okay, I, I, I've I've seen people grade him with a second or third round grade, and I, and I just don't see it. I feel like there's a lot more that needs to be worked out in his game. Um, yeah. So I, I would be a little bit more comfortable in the fourth or fifth. Uh, but if if they if there's like a run on on guards and uh, and tackles at some point, and it looks less likely that he's going to make it there, I wouldn't really be as comfortable. Yeah, I wouldn't want to overdraft him. And this is why he's the last guy I'm bringing up, because I think this is a, if the situation works itself out and he's there in the fourth or fifth round, then you take him for his potential and you take him for, well, maybe we can teach him to run a little bit better. He's never going to be outright explosive. He's not Cam Jurgens fast or anything close to it. That's not his game. But if you can teach him to take better angles, you can teach him to be a little more explosive out of his stance. Um, you can teach him the techniques of reach blocking a little bit. He's got the frame and the power for everything else. And the AFC East has some scary defensive linemen in it. And especially yeah. if you want to be able to run the ball on teams like Buffalo or New England, you need some guys that can just move people out of the way. Wide zone is great in theory because you're able to create angles and it doesn't take the most strong, imposing physical brute force where you're having to move people out of the way to create space for your run game. And it works. There's a reason it works and it's worked for plenty of years. I'm not trying to knock the wide zone scheme at all. But sometimes when it's tough yardage situations, we saw the Jets struggled a lot this past year oh, yeah. because they just didn't have the linemen with the strength to get push up front. And it was more about finesse. Jamari Sawyer is the guy that you put in at, at right guard, left guard, whatever spot it ends up being, or even as a backup, if someone gets hurt and it's fourth and one on the goal line and you need to create a hole, well, you have him down block the nose out of the way and go right behind him. That that's mm -hmm. the jets need more of that on their offensive line, even if it's as a backup. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I'd say that those short yardage problems also had a lot to do with us not really having a short yardage running back either. Absolutely. Uh, it, uh, we will get it, to that soon. Uh, and yeah, before draft as well, uh, that'll yeah. be another point as the biggest uh, need in the backfield is someone with some power. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but and together it all kind of uh, coalesced into a, just a big problem. But uh, yeah, we, we need this meanness. We need the strength. Uh, we want to have an offensive line that's imposing because uh, at the end of the day, this is still a run centric offense they right. want run dependent the, offense yes they, they want to pass but they want to pass off of their runs Bingo. so we we need to have an offensive line 
that really makes a statement when they're out there. Yeah. And I think for, to be fair, I think our starters will as a quick, I think that we have the starting caliber talent right now to do that. And that's why we need the backup guys because linemen are inevitably going to get hurt. And we just need the difference between our first string and our second string, not to be as great as it is now. Exactly. All right, Matt, let's get to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, This is going to be a fun one. This is where the premium picks are coming. Um, We agree, as we mentioned earlier, I don't think there's any reason to take any position other than defensive end at four. I think the Jets will be taking a defensive end at four. And with about 12 days to go until the draft, uh, it is either going to be Kayvon Thibodeau or Jermaine Johnson is how I am viewing this. I, I would bet on one of those two players being a New York Jet come the end of April. Oh, yeah. I mean, if it's Thibodeau, if Thibodeau somehow makes it to four, I think it's, That's the there thing. isn't even a question that it's going to be him. Um, but if Thibodeau's gone, then I would most definitely just go with JJ. Just go it, the most polished defensive end uh, in this class, I think, uh, yep. as far as the standpoint of pass rushing and uh, uh, defending the run. Uh, and potential. Let's not I, forget that. That's the most oh, yeah. underrated part of this argument for defensive ends because Trevon Walker gets to be a possible first overall pick because of his potential, but no one wants to admit that Jermaine Johnson has a high ceiling. No, well, why don't you go ahead and explain what that ceiling is? Because I feel like a lot of people, when they hear polished, they think he's finished, that he doesn't have that room to grow. Uh, so why don't you tell them exactly where he can grow and why he still has potential to be even better than a lot of the other defensive ends. Oh, I would absolutely love to. Um, First things first, Jermaine Johnson is not that much older of a prospect. He just turned 23, just in February turned 23. So he will be 23 for the entirety of his rookie season. That's older. Are some guys going to get drafted into the league at 20 years old? Yeah, great. Good for them. Khalil Mack was 23 years and two and a half months old when he was drafted. JJ is going to be like 17 days older than Khalil Mack. Not worried about it. Also not worried about it because he's barely started. He's only started 16 career games in his college career, going all the way back to his D2 days. That is not a lot of reps. That is not a lot of playing time. He had backup snaps and sub reps uh, for his couple of years at Georgia. And this past year at FSU was the first time where he got a chance to be a full-time starter. Most of his career starts came this past year. And in his full season as a starter, he was his league's defensive player of the year. We goes to the senior bowl. And this is exactly what you're talking about, Matt, which is how can you be polished and still have room to grow? Jermaine Johnson, more so than a lot of other pass rushers in this class, has a variety of pass rush moves at his disposal solely because of his physical capabilities. Jermaine Johnson's long arm is better than others because he has 34-inch arms. His ability to use a long arm to start and transition into a rip or a swim is only capable because of his hip flexibility and his ankle bend. The thing with Jermaine Johnson was that you saw on tape partly because of Florida State's scheme that asked him to play contain at first and not fire off the ball unless it was third and eight. He really needs to work on his rush plan and how he strings all these different moves together. He's got a bunch of moves in his toolbox, but he really needs to work more on setting offensive tackles up with moves early to then make counters off of them later in the games. That specifically is why Aiden Hutchinson is so good and why he was able to rack up so many sacks this year. Because Aiden Hutchinson is very good with his rush plan and knows how to set up the outside first and open up inside counters. 
but that's all he has. Jermaine Johnson can beat you with a spin move. He could beat you with a long arm. He could beat you with a, a skip and dip. He could beat you with outright bend. He could beat you with a bull rush. He could beat you any way he wants to physically, quite honestly. And I think that Jermaine Johnson and Kayvon Thibodeau are the only two defensive ends in this class capable of that. He just doesn't know how to set up those moves to keep offensive tackles guessing as well as some other pass rushers do already. But then he goes to the senior bowl and was whipping dudes and his rush plan looked a lot better than it had at all point on tape. And he still had 11 and a half sacks the year before. Anyway, the ascension with him has been so great. His story of the more chances he gets, the more opportunities Jermaine Johnson has got to flash his talents, the better he's gotten. He has continued to destroy this draft process from start to finish. Absolutely had a fantastic combine like we all predicted. And I'm looking at this from a scout's perspective, saying Jermaine Johnson in two years, and I thought of this and thought I was being crazy at first and then looked at their athletic profiles and realized that I was actually a lot closer than I thought. Jermaine Johnson in two years could be Khalil Mack. He has the physical gifts for it. He has the length, the power, the size, the speed, the change of direction, the explosion. Khalil Mack, when he was at his peak, was the best pass rusher in the NFL because he had everything. He was too quick, too strong, too long, too everything. Jermaine has that potential if he can put it all together. And you don't have to teach him how to do the moves. You just have to teach him the order in which to do them. You just have to teach them how to set up future moves, not get the muscle memory down of learning them and executing. His ascension has only continued to be better. I'm not worried about analytics with him. I'm not. The tape looks great. The tape looks, I see so much room for ceiling with him and growth for him that in two years, I don't think anyone's going to care how many sacks or pressures he had in less than two and a half seconds, because how many other defensive ends in the world are getting pressures in less than two and a half seconds. Anyway, it's a very small number. There's a reason quick passing games are designed to neutralize pass rushers, because if you're a pass rusher that can routinely get pressure in two seconds, you'll go first overall in any draft class. Yeah. I, I well said. Thank you. I, I just, I just want to clap first because I, I, I couldn't have said that better myself. And I, I, the the biggest thing I see is his age. And like you said, he'll be 23 for his entire rookie season. By the time his rookie contract's done, he'll be what? 27. Uh, Yeah, about that. And how, and Chandler Jones is getting paid $17 million a year as a defensive end at 33 right now. This, it's not like this is a position where guys flame out early. It's not like he's a running back and, and you're expecting him to have four good years of play left. And then he's going to be nearing 30 as a running back and you're going to get worried. John Abraham played till he was like 35. Bruce Smith played until he was like 35. And our, those are, you know, high praise for, for Jermaine Johnson. I'm not comparing him directly to either of those players, but there's countless examples of pass rushers playing well into their thirties. So oh, the 23 for a defensive end is a lot different than 23 for another position. And it's not even all 23. It's barely 23. Yeah. And I like when people try to compare him to, to Thibodeau and I still have Thibodeau as my number one edge. Same here. I, I think he's earned that, that right. And I'm not saying that JJ is a better edge prospect than him. I'm saying that he does things a little bit better than Thibodeau especially against the run. Uh, So there's, I I think he's earned his, his spot in the top five consideration. Um, 
I'm not saying he's better, but I'm saying he's earned the right to be there. Uh, but I now agree. let me pose this question. If Thibodeau and JJ are off the board by four and it's between Hutchinson and Walker, what do you do? I take Hutchinson 10 out of 10 times and I really don't like Aiden Hutchinson. That's how scared I am about Trevon Walker. Yeah, I, I agree. Walker just has, he's just so much projection at this point. He's all uh, projection. He's all projection. His tape, his tape is third round. His, you don't watch his tape and go, this is a world-class defensive end, holy crap athlete, where the physical testing comparison, if you're looking at his numbers and his body makeup, it looks like Miles Garrett. His tape is nothing like Miles Garrett. No, nothing. And it's, it's way too scary. Uh, I think at this point in JD's career, he needs to hit a home run here. Uh, he yeah. can't afford to take that risk in going after Walker. Uh, he doesn't have the time to no, let Walker. That's it right develop. there. That's, that's the exactly. We it. need these guys to be on the field right away and be disruptive right away. And to have uh, a grace period for Walker is just, we just can't allow that. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely go Hutch uh, with uh, as well, even though his metrics uh, and his athletic uh, profile don't really say that he'll be successful because only what uh, Hendrickson is the only other edge over the last uh, five years. There has been one player to get at least 10 sacks in the NFL with arms as long or shorter than Aiden Hutchinson. And it's Trey Hendrickson. It is. And I'm, and I'm scared of, of Hutch being able to win consistently at the next level when they, he goes against better tackles that are able to just cheat inside and dare him to beat them outside. Yep. Yeah. He still has that great first step, but the, the NFL tackles are a little bit more uh, equipped to to handle, especially if he's not able to bend around the edge. That's the thing, is that Aiden Hutchinson could very likely, with his first step alone, beat a bunch of NFL offensive tackles to the edge. Can he turn well enough to, to get his hips cranked around and finish and actually get to the quarterback without giving the tackle room to recover and push him up the arc? That's the question. That's what he hasn't been able to prove on tape. Um and not to go to on too much of a tangent here, but that's my worry with Aiden Hutchinson is that if I'm an offensive line coach and I'm scouting him and I'm telling my offensive tackle, how do you beat this guy? I say you short set him until he proves that he can beat it. And for those that don't know what a short set is, a short set when you're an offensive tackle, instead of firing out the ball and getting really hard and going to the edge and really trying to match Hutchinson's pace and, and keep up with him you're basically taking a really flat, shorter angle and trying to make contact early, basically daring him to beat you to the edge. And you would think against a speed rusher like Hutchinson, that's a death sentence, but with his limited length, you're going to be able to get the first strike and first contact on him before he can disengage. And because of his natural height at 6'6", because he plays with poor leverage and plays upright at 6'6", and because of his lack, lack, lack of bend in the hips and ankles, it's really hard for him to get low and get turned and get around that corner to where even if he gets a good jump off the snap, is he going to be able to finish? That's why Hutchinson's pressure numbers are so good. Because he's getting counted for a lot of pressures where he's getting ran up the arc and the quarterback can step up and he gets neutralized. And so many college offensive tackles are scared of his first step that they fire out way too hard outside. And once Hutchinson knows that, it, that that's what they're going to do, he hits him with the inside swim. And yeah. he's going to get inside three. No problem. That's what having a good rush plan does. And it's what Hayden Hutchinson does better than anybody else in this draft class. But I don't think Aiden Hutchinson will ever be any better than he is right now. 
I don't know what more Aiden Hutchinson can do to improve. I think his ceiling is very, very limited. And then you look at the history of his arm length, 32 and an eighth inch arms is in the seventh percentile for all defensive ends in NFL history. Yeah, he's there's there's definitely risk there. Uh, I would still still take him over Walker. I'd still take (laughs) him over Walker. Yeah. But uh, at this point, we need an edge desperately. Uh, I've seen a lot of people say, but wait, maybe it's not that much of a need. We have we just signed Franklin Myers. Uh, but yeah, we want him. I, I, I think Franklin Myers this year is going to be playing a lot more inside uh, than he did last year. I think he only had a, a handful of snaps inside last year. Uh, and we just rotate so much along this defensive line that we need to have top caliber uh, prospects. Yeah. Uh, even when the starters aren't even in. So even if Franklin Myers is, is starting outside uh, with the Lawson on the other end, uh, a guy like JJ or Hutch or even Thibodeau would uh, most definitely still see starting level snaps. Uh, so we, it's definitely a need uh, and we'll get to the, the interior in a little bit, uh, but it's a need there too, because yeah. we're yeah. just weak. Yeah, absolutely. And this defense as everybody known as everybody has known since Robert Saul was hired and will continue to hear throughout his, uh, his entire tenure with the jets, it's built on the defensive line. And it's built on having a front four that can get home without rushing more than four. Having the best four pass rushing guys on your line is possible for pass downs to generate plays, force bad throws from quarterbacks. And you got all your defensive backs in zone with their eyes on. They're able to jump and drive on the ball and capitalize. That's ideally how the scheme works. So you need those guys up front that can get pressure. And the Jets didn't have it last year, let alone the fact that their offense was keeping them behind in games and the schemes built to play with the lead. But that's a tangent I've already said on this show more than once. Mm-hmm. they need guys that can get after the quarterback specifically on the edge. And with Carl Lawson coming back, giving him another running mate is really going to unlock him. It's almost more about making sure you have that other defensive end presence. So teams just can't double Lawson and have somebody else off the other side that they have to worry about their protection in and not just slide their protection towards Carl Lawson and then call it a day. You really need to look at this class where it is its strongest You need to look at this class where it is at its best. The top three that we agree on, Matt, I think we're both there. Kayvon Thibodeau, Jermaine Johnson, Aiden Hutchinson Mm -hmm. would be the best or the second best. All any of the three of them would be the best or second best defensive end in any of the last three classes. I agree. Yeah. That's how good these guys are where Jermaine Johnson would be second to Chase Young in his draft class. And it wouldn't even be close. It would be Chase Young, Jermaine, Jermaine Johnson is the top two and a giant gap. Um, I'm trying to remember who the top defensive end was last year because it was a really weak class. And I honestly can't even remember who I had as my edge one last year. I can guarantee Jermaine would be it. I can guarantee Kayvon or Hutchinson would be it. These guys are the few truly top talents in the class even including Hutchinson, because his his polish and his effectiveness and his floor is very high. But the guys like Jermaine and Kayvon are so important and they're so rare and they're at a position of need. I, it's There's no reason to take anybody else, in my opinion. It's one of those uh, two. Yeah, especially compared to last year. I think it's got Jalen Phillips, um, Ajilari, right. yeah. uh, Quipe. 
Jermaine, uh, I think Jermaine it would get a higher grade for me than Jalen Phillips did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I had I had him as maybe a top fifteen, top ten uh, at highest. Uh, yep. But yeah, JJ would would be far ahead. Uh, never mind Hutch and Thibodeau. Also, I would even yep. maybe put Walker uh, maybe ahead. Nah, no, I wouldn't put Walker ahead of Phillips. He but. does. He just doesn't have the tape for it. Yeah, I, there's the so much he has to learn. Walker is the athletic potential is there, but there's so much for him to learn. There's so much for him to like. I was talking about with Jermaine Johnson, and I think this will be the end point here before we get into the potential mid round guys. If the Jets don't go edge at four, where if we have a nightmare scenario and they look for another position. And now we're wondering where our pass rush is going to come from. We'll get to these guys next. You have to teach Trevon Walker the pass rush moves, and he has to take the time to learn the muscle memory to get them down without thinking about it. Jermaine Johnson already knows how to do the moves. He has the muscle memory down to do them. Now it's about the second aspect of it and having his brain do the work of planning which moves to use so his body and his muscle memory can take over from there. Trevon Walker, you're basically starting from scratch. You're having to teach him how to pass rush physically and then teaching him how to pass rush mentally on top of that. That is a long process the Jets don't have time for. I agree. Uh, so, yeah, let's say worst case scenario where uh, Hutch, JJ, and Thibodeau are all gone and you have Walker there at four. I would say, no, I, I, I'd probably pass on Walker. I'd and- take my pick of the litter at receivers. Yeah, maybe go receiver or maybe sauce. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, may, maybe start looking at the receivers. But I don't even then I would I would just feel I'd I'd probably look to trade back first before anything else. Ideally, yes, but I'd much rather draft overdraft Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, or Drake London than Trevon Walker. I would oh, much actually. rather have any of those three receivers or or Christian Watson even. Quite honestly, as crazy as that sounds, I would think I would rather have Christian Watson fourth overall than Trevon Walker, just because I think that the difference in skill and what you're having to teach is so far behind. And the tape for Trevon Walker, if Trevon Walker didn't test the way he did at the combine, no one would be mentioning him as a potential top 10 pick at all. That's true. Although a lot of people saw that, uh, saw the potential in him blowing up the combine. So he kind of lived up to those expectations. He absolutely Uh, did. But if it wasn't the absolutely elite of the elite 9.98 RAS that he posted, if -hmm. this was if he was a 9.53 like Jermaine Johnson, again, to show the difference in the quality of athletes, it's not like these other guys are bad athletes. No. If he was looking at JJ's like uh, 10 yard split. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 97th percentile 10 yard split at 154. So. These guys are other other guys are really good athletes too. Trevon Walker was just the elite of the elite. If Trevon Walker tested at like a 9.7 RAS, like everyone would go, yeah, he's really athletic. This is exactly what we thought. This is great movement for 275. You know, the 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 potential is there. But he doesn't know what he's doing. So he's going to go top 30, not top 10. So let's say in that faithful scenario that we do uh overdraft a wide receiver. Uh, or or cornerback or whatever, then we're looking to edge at 10. Who are you looking at? A lot of people think Jermaine could fall, and if he doesn't go at four, that he could be there at 10. And I am here to say no, that there is no way in hell that that happens, because if he's there at nine, the Seahawks will sprint the card in. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think there's any way uh, JJ makes it to 10. I don't um, think so. No, no. I, I think it's a, a lot more likely that Sauce or Walker makes it to 10. Absolutely, I agree. Um, so 
in this scenario, I think the only other option for defensive end in the top 10 is George Karloftis. And I'm honestly not even sure that I would be okay with that as big of a Karloftis fan as I am. And as much as I was earlier in the year, there's some other really good pass rushers in this class. And I think Karloftis for me was one of the first guys I watched and I went, wow, look at him move. Kind of like with Trevon Walker, where it's he's playing at 270 and he's moving so well and bending and exploding. And, you know, the potential's there. And it is. And it's definitely there. And if they take Karloftis at 10 with the top three gone in this nightmare of a scenario, am I going to be upset about it? No. But I would be a lot more worried about someone like Karloftis than I would about someone like Jermaine Johnson. And so I'm going to throw out a bold bold, bold, bold statement here because we're looking at nightmare scenarios. We don't, Mm -hmm. I don't think this is likely at all. So if we're talking about what do we need to do, if the top three guys are gone and the jets get a receiver at four, I don't think they're taking sauce. So I'm just going to go ahead and cancel him out of it and say that he's gone before the 10th pick. And you know what, just for argument's sake, let's say Kyle Hamilton's gone too, even though I wouldn't take him there again, argument's sake. Mm Hmm. The Jets need a defensive end and they need someone who can pressure the quarterback and get after it right away and knows what they're doing. That They won't have to teach how to rush the passer. Outside of the top three, I think the best player in this class at that is Arnold Ebiketti at Penn State. Yes. And so in this in that scenario, I'm you would have to argue with me why I would not be taking Ebiketti over Karloftis at 10. And I think I that's can- too high for both of them but wildly too high for both of them. But in terms of effectiveness at pass rusher and length, Arnold Ebiketti is the anti Aiden Hutchinson in that he's naturally got good leverage because he's six two. He's got good weight at about two fifty, So he's short and squatty. He's stout. He's compact and he's tough. He's got 34 inch arms, which are huge for his frame. And he's bendy and explosive on top of that. He's literally the opposite of Aiden Hutchinson. So here's the thing. Uh, if, if it came between Ebiketti and Karloftis, I'm picking Ebiketti anytime because just like we were saying with Hutchinson and his arm length, Karloftis' yeah. arms are pretty much the same. They're a half inch longer. They're so if anyone knocks long. George Karloftis for short arms, just know that they're knocking uh, in Hutchinson too. At least they should be. They should be. Yeah. But the, the, the only trade off there is that Karloftis doesn't have the same first step doesn't have the same pass rushing uh, abilities as, as Hutchinson. So I would pass rush. I, I, I would say the, the risk with Hutchinson is, is tenfold with Carl Loftus. So I would probably stay away from Carl Loftus and go with Arnold Evocati, especially with his length. Uh, people see him as more of a pass rush specialist, but I think that he does very well against the run, especially because of that length. Uh, he disengages very well. Uh, he uses leverage uh, to. He's got to... such a natural advantage just from his body composition alone. Absolutely, where wow. just six two two fifty with thirty four inch arms and yeah, strong he, at that. Like that does very well to keep himself clear of, of blocks to keep the uh, offensive lineman out of his pads. Uh, and even when they try to, he's got the athletic ability to make him pay for it too. He, I've seen him leave many offensive tackles just grasping at air uh, because. They they they're trying to just get this, their hands on him as quick as possible, and he's just too quick for them. Yeah, uh, and again, this is where you look at, like I said with Jermaine, I'm not going to dive into the analytics, and I feel the same way about Arnold Ebiketti purely off his tape. But the analytics back up Ebiketti more than any other pass rusher in this class. 
Are you worried his, about his size, though? No, because I've seen millions and millions of defensive ends that are 6'2", 250 that play forever. Are you worried about Shaq Barrett's size? Are you worried about Dwight Freeney's size? Are you worried about Robert Mathis's size? Are you worried about Carl Lawson's size? Are you worried about Quiddy Pay's size? I could go all day. This is the same body composition, same build, same makeup. All these guys do is just get sacks. I'm actually His size is a plus. I'm not worried about it. I think it's a natural advantage for him. Did he play it? at 250 or i i've kind of remember him being a lot lighter he like looked lighter he, that's probably where he was playing but he tested really really well and weighed in at, at 250 at the combine so he's shown that he could add weight and keep his athleticism and i think in the nfl that's what they're going to want out of him mm-hmm. uh, assuming he goes to a 4-3 team if they goes to a 3-4 team and they make him an olb then i could see him maybe playing at around 240 but for us if he were to be on the Jets, I think he's a is the other defensive end opposite Carl Lawson. I think he plays at about 250, and I think he would be just fine. I'm yeah, I'm, I agree. I love guys like that. That build, that natural, that natural advantage, like I'm saying, where if you're an offensive tackle, most offensive tackles are going to be six five, they're going to be three fifteen to three twenty, give or take. They're going to have long arms, they're going to be, they're going to have good feet because they have to match rushers. But do you know how hard it is? to get hands on a guy who's already 6'2", who can bend down to the ground and turn and give his back to you and give you no surface area to block, where it's it's like trying to... It's why Shaq Barrett is so hard to stop, because he can get, is already so much lower than the offensive tackles. He can dip under their ability to reach and turn the corner so well and so low to the ground, there's nowhere for you to touch them. There's nowhere for you as a blocker to to get hands on and stop and make contact outside of just hoping that you can physically just push them into the ground. And if these guys have the strength or the quickness to get around that, there's no stopping them. I, I agree. And he's the guy that popped out to me even before this year, uh, back when he was on Temple. Uh, I, I saw that bend there. and I was like, ooh, this, this guy's got some serious athletic ability to, to really get to the passer. Uh, yeah, if he can yeah. be uh, given a bigger role, uh, watch out. And and that's exactly what he got at Penn State. And he did not disappoint at all. No. Like we talk about with Jermaine again, Ascension. The guy goes to a major program, gets an opportunity to start, and has his best career uh, season. That that counts for something. That counts for, for upgrading your level of competition and getting better and not worse. That says a lot. Agree. All right, last guy I want to highlight a defensive end here. Uh, Josh Pascal from Kentucky. A little bit different of a build. This is a guy, I think, with a little more inside-outside versatility. Um, I'm not sure he's entirely a full-time edge. I think his ideal role in the NFL is similar to what JFM does, but JFM needs a backup too. And there's no one on the defensive line other than JFM, other than maybe Solomon Thomas, even though I think they're going to keep him inside at defensive tackle. Uh, that really fills the role that he does as an early down defensive end and then interior player on rushdowns. But Josh Pascal could. And the first thing I want to mention with Josh Pascal, uh, and shout out to Damian Parson, uh, who's another scout that works for the Draft Network. Uh, he's a big friend, good friend of mine, and I talk to all pretty much every day, um, who filled me in on this info from Pascal from a few years ago that I really don't know why isn't being talked about more in NFL circles because it's the exact type of story that teams eat up for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Josh Pascal came back from cancer to keep playing football in Kentucky. He was diagnosed uh, after his the beginning of his sophomore season with a malignant melanoma um, lesion and underwent treatment for it, was able to return that same season and even play a game. 
Wow. Came back the next year, didn't miss a single game. He's he's missed two games in his uh, outside of that season with cancer. He's missed two other games his whole career. And That's wild. yeah, absolutely. And then to come back and be in football shape in the SEC and play two more years in the SEC and be good at that, um, hats freaking off to Josh Pascal for his fight, for everything that he went through, for all as tough as that was. And no one in the freaking media is even bringing it up about him. I get he's not that big of a top name. I get that he's not, you know, going to be probably a top 50 pick or maybe right around 50th at best. But everyone in the world knew James Conner's story. And and everyone in the world knew Eric Berry's story. And here's another example of a story like that. I really think it deserves more attention. So character grade for Josh Pascal. A plus 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 right off the bat. We all know how much that matters to Joe Douglas. We all know how much that matters to Robert Sala. So they're going to like him from that warrior aspect in him off the Mm -hmm. jump. Then you turn on the tape and you see a guy that can absolutely whip up on guards on pass downs, where if he starts from kind of a five or six tech and then slants in, or sometimes they'll line him up at three tech and then he'll slant and go all the way across to the other side of the formation to the other guard. No one keeps up with him and his ability to flatten down and get skinny through blocks on the interior. He can get some pressure. I think he has some solid reps on the edge too. I like him more as a combo player. I like him more as a, a counterpart to someone as the true beat the doors off defensive end. And that's why we both agree. Take one at four. So you have two of those guys, but if you don't take one at four and you're looking for somebody in a trade back scenario, if you're trying to acquire picks, Josh Pascal at the end of the second round sounds really good to me. All right. I, I, I definitely see it. Um, yeah. Even JFM needs a backup, but even I would say his backup would be JJ at four or even Rankins inside right. in an ideal scenario where this is, we take our defensive end at four and don't have this problem. Yeah. But assuming we don't, if we then, don't, yeah. I, I, even if we don't take an edge at four, I'd want us to take one at, at 10 at least. Uh, and even if we don't take one at 10, I'd want to take one at 35. Right. Uh, the longer you go without taking it, the more pressing of a need it gets. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, in, in this nightmare scenario where we somehow neglect the edge position that long, I would most definitely take him. Uh, he would make a lot of sense as far, especially with his versatility inside and out. Uh, he, he can play outside uh, on the early downs, uh, be a very stout run defender, and then right against the run, yeah, and then throw him out in, inside on passing downs, and yeah, let him rip. Uh, I, I, I like him a lot. Uh, if we do end up doubling up on edge, uh, I wouldn't mind taking him, especially if he drops a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I, I like uh, when I when I saw him, I uh, play. I was like, hmm, he looks a little like uh, Emmanuel Ogba, a little. Uh, I've heard that comp before. And, uh, and so I, I, I definitely see a lot of potential there. Uh, and like you said, with um, uh, his just love of the game and, and how much that uh, the team really appreciates guys like that. So he would be a, you know a really how much fit. you got to love football to come back from yeah, cancer really, yeah. and play when you're playing for free. That, you know how much wild. you got to love your teammates, love the game. You know how much dedication you got to have to come back and play a game to make sure he made a game that he was ready to play in a game that season, that he didn't miss the whole season, how much he had to work. He got diagnosed in the summer of that year. Like readily impressive. Yeah. 
it was like less than a year for him that after his diagnosis that he was back playing. I mean, you got to be some sort of some sort of freaking warrior. That's why, like I said, hats off to Josh Pascal. Regardless of where he goes, I'm going to be rooting for him because that's just a great story. Absolutely. I I, I hope on draft night uh, you got somebody that pulls that little uh, tidbit out and and really brings more practice if it. they don't. I mean, yeah, really. It, Come on now, uh, ESPN, BR, anybody, NFL Network, any of your guys on the desk. Uh, this should be the first thing they mention when his name gets called. Yep. All right, let's get to our last position here. That's going to take us to the interior, the defensive line, and the defensive tackle spots. Um, we've kind of alluded to it already, but this is a top four need in terms of the needs that they have left. Not top four is in take it at the top four pick, but of the four biggest needs that the Jets have left, defensive tackle is one of them. Um, Sheldon Rankins has not been re-signed. I think if he would have, it would happen by now, or they're waiting to see maybe if he falls until the summer and then bringing him back at depth, but they really need someone else on the interior next to Quinn and Williams that can stop the run just as well as they can get after the quarterback. Uh, it is a wide open need. So let's make this argument here, Matt, uh, yeah. moving away from nightmare scenarios and moving into what we started thinking were nightmare scenarios a few months ago. <laughs> Assuming they get their edge at four, is Jordan Davis at 10th overall too good to pass up? At four? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I even know, is he too good to pass up? Well, if, actually, you get, no. if you draft an edge at four and Jordan Davis is there at 10, is he too good to pass up at 10? I agree you don't take him at four. Not even a question about no. it. You take the pass rusher. But I think there's you could make the argument that in terms of the best players left available, that Jordan Davis would be by far the best player left available in a position of need. Here's, here's the, the argument for, uh, we have one starter right now along the, as a defensive uh-huh. tackle, it's, it's Quinnen <laughs> and, and even he only plays 60% of the snaps. So that, that leaves 140% of the snaps left unattended. So let's see. All right. We need uh, a, a starter, first of all, uh, uh, at the one tech, because now uh, Foley's gone. Uh, and Davis is pretty much the perfect fit for that. Uh, and I remember you uh, saying that maybe he'd be even better if he loses some weight. Uh, and can he yep. even be pushed out to maybe a three tech or uh, it, it has have that ability? Because I he's already got the athletic him, profile. Yeah. You have him lose about 15 pounds. He played at about 340, 342. Have him play between 325 and 330. I think he could be a one tech. He could be a nose. He could be a shade three. He could be he could be whatever really you want on the inside between a four eye and a zero. Yeah, and he's, he's got so much potential. Uh, the only thing, the, the case against him there is that at right now with what you've seen from his tape, it's more of a run stuffer. Uh, yep. Of course, at Georgia, he was asked to be more of a run stuffer uh, to, to two gap, to not really be that penetrator. It was more about their scheme than it was about his talents. Exactly. But when he was asked to penetrate, he's got some violent arm, uh, hands, uh, the, the, some great arm overs. Uh, he's always one of the first people off the snap. Uh, he's got very good bursts. He's got what it takes to be a penetrator if asked to be a penetrator. So yeah. I don't look at him as just being a two-down guy. I think he has the potential to be a three-down guy as well. Uh, so at worst, 
he'll fill that need as a two down guy. Uh, but at best, if you factor in his potential, he can be a starter and maybe even a better starter than Quinnen, uh, whose contract will be coming out uh, quickly. So if Quinnen doesn't show that he's the guy that deserves that contract, well, then now we need somebody that sort of fills that that top dog role along that interior. And Davis can definitely be that guy. Yeah. And let alone that, the Jets were 32nd in run defense last year. So it's not like they don't need run stuffers, too. Uh, like they yeah. lost their best run stuffer in Foley and they were 32nd in run defense. Like it's they they need someone that can stop the run, too. And as I've said before, as I alluded to earlier, the scheme is really built to play with a lead. So if you don't have guys that can stop the run early and force long third and long situations early in the game and teams can run down your throat and tire out your defensive line just by running the ball, it completely defeats the purpose of the defense. So you really do need some guys on the inside that can stop the run first and open things up for the pass rushers later in the game, hoping your offense can be potent enough to get a lead early. Jordan Davis is the type of guy that can be that run stuffer early and has the potential to transition into a pocket collapser, taking away the ability to step up away from Carl Lawson or whatever defensive end we take it for. Yeah, and I think I, that's the the final piece of it all is that you can have these two guys off the edge that are really good. But if you don't have any interior pressure, they can quarterbacks that are good will step up around them. Jordan Davis takes away that possibility entirely. He really does. Davis's athletic profile, as is, is very impressive. If he can lose that 15 to 20 pounds and be even more athletic, uh, I the, the, the a potential there is very scary. As yeah. is right now, he demands double teams. Right. He's already uh, the most athletic defensive tackle in, in NFL history by RAS grading. Yes. That's before I, losing weight. And you, you know what the crazy thing is? is that he wasn't even the best player on that defensive line. And uh, that, that's no. a story for next year uh, yeah. when, when Carter comes out. Well, yeah, look up uh, Jalen Carter, everybody. Just know now. Oof. Yikes. And it, it's even, even being as impressive as Wyatt and, and Davis are, just seeing Carter uh, amongst them is like, wow. <laughs> These guys are insane, but this guy's otherworldly. Uh, but go, go, coming back to this year with, with Davis, I, I can definitely see it. Um, the, the, the trenches are always going to be, uh, the first stop when it comes to JD and Sala, they're going to see, is there a glaring need, uh, a lot in the trenches? And if there is the chances are, they're going to address it. Uh, so I would not be surprised if Davis is the pick at 10. Um, and, but then again, they can, they can, uh, the, the amount of outcry there would be if we don't go wide receiver at 10, uh, would be deafening i I'd, I'd be able to hear it from all the houses in Long island all the way yep. up, up and down the coast from every jet fan that uh, the, i'd probably be screaming here in myrtle beach too you'd probably hear yeah. me all the way up there yeah it, it, would, it would be insufferable uh but at the same time i can very much see it and if it happened i'd be thrilled because at the same time we would have a very dominant front four uh, to, to start the season, and I, I, the sky's the limit, too. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, if the Jets had added another quality starting receiver in free agency or via trade, I think that 4-10 would be a defensive end in Jordan Davis. And it would be just go ahead and put it in stone, and we're good, and let's get us to the draft, and we don't got to have this argument anymore. 
Yeah. But because it isn't, and because the Jets have really kind of backed themselves into a corner where their top three wide receivers right now are Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, and Braxton Darius, that's not good enough. No. That's it's not. It's not even close. They need another guy that can be an outright difference maker at multiple positions at multiple spots. And they kind of have to do it at 10th overall now. They they really the receiver run is going to start in the middle of the first round. Um, the Jets likely could take the first receiver off the board at 10. If it's not them, it could be Atlanta at eight. And right after there, I think really in the mid teens through early twenties, you're going to have a run of like four or five or six receivers go off the board. Yeah. It's going to be a wild run. And and there's not going to be the quality guys left at the top of the second round. So you, you have a bigger need in on whether fans want to agree or not. Nothing is more important this next season than Zach Wilson succeeding. Mm -hmm. And so that means give him weapons. So would Jordan Davis at 10, do I sit here and think from my scout brain that Robert Sala loved the heck out of Javon Kinlaw and this could be better Javon Kinlaw? Yeah. And I think it would make a ton of sense, but they need a wide receiver too badly. So I think you have to take the receiver at 10 and because uh, you forced your hand really. Yeah. I mean, when I was looking at percentage of top performers at the position and where they were taken, uh, if you look at wide receiver, only about 30% of the top scoring uh, wide receivers were, were taken in the first round. Or if you look at the the top 20 sack leaders at, along the interior, about 60% were taken in the first round. So there's a lot higher hit rate in the first that round. Is, that is the, the argument. And the interesting thing about that is I think it's a product of how college football has evolved. And mm-hmm. in more spread passing schemes, you have a lot of players. There's a lot more seven on sevens going on. You have a lot more guys growing up to be wide receivers than you do growing up to be defensive tackles. And so is the position more flooded? Yes. And I think you mm-hmm. could even make the argument that it makes more sense to maybe try and take Jordan Davis and trade back into round one. Mm-hmm. But if you, you don't get, get that other receiver and you don't get one of the I honestly, it's Jamison Williams, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. And after that, I'm really starting to have some questions. So here's the thing, then. Let's say they do what most people are expecting them to do and grab their wide receiver at 10. Then it comes down to, well, we still have this glaring need along the interior. Uh-huh. Where do we go next? Mid rounds. Mid rounds. I would you, I wouldn't even go to that far i would still maybe even go in the second round look if travis people. jones gets to 35 he's the pick i don't think exactly. he gets to 35 Ooh, all right that that's i think he I, goes I round one if he goes round one then yeah then then we start we need to look to the later rounds the to the mid rounds uh at that point the the value just kind of drops off yeah and Devontae uh, Wyatt has some questions that no one seems to be bringing up that we recently um found out ourselves um, yeah. There are some some character concerns, and I'll let people do their own research because it's not like it's hard to find. Um, I won't specifically mention anything, but there are some concerns there that for people like Joe Douglas and Robert Sala are going to be question marks. And it, granted, that's what we thought before they tried to trade for Tyree Kill, but Tyree Kill was a proven star in the NFL. And when you're proven and when you're that big of a position of need, sometimes you'll overlook some things, fair or unfair. 
scouting wise, the Jets aren't going to want to draft a player with question marks like that. Joe Douglas has never done it. Yeah, it, it's really hard to say that that them going after Hill kind of tossed me through a loop on what I expect them to to do yeah. as far as character concerns. Uh, so I really don't know how I feel about Wyatt, and I, I think he's a first round pick. He's got first round talent. I agree. Uh, and he maybe fits the mold of what JD and Sala want more than Davis because Davis, what he's shown is more uh, run savvy yep, first, yep. pass rush second, while Wyatt's more pass rush first, uh, run defense uh, second. So that kind of fits more what the mold of our defense wants. Uh, but same, yeah, you can't ignore these things. Uh, if these things end up uh, being more true than false uh, and the they revert back to their character strength, uh, then he's probably off their board entirely. Um, yeah, so. and I honestly, I think Tyreek Hill was a unique situation. I, I don't do. think that this is now the exception to the rule of how Joe Douglas and Robert Sala have said they want to operate and then proven that they intend to operate in that same way. I think this was a player at the top of the league at a position of need coming available that they were able to get in on for what they seemed was a fair price. And they wanted to add an impact player for Zach Wilson. And in that situation, they said to themselves, the talent is worth the, the acquisition and the risk. And while I don't think that we should be in the argument of forgetting about any of Tyreek Hill's issues, there hasn't been too many since he's been in the league to be fair. So they could have looked at it from that argument and said, well, he's been okay since he's been in the league. It's been a long time. You know, we the talent is too great to acquire. And by the way, he's a top five wide receiver. So. <laughs> yeah. Maybe top three. Right, exactly. Yeah, and by the way, he's he's one of the five best receivers in the NFL. And we need a receiver and our quarterback's going into second year. Um, so I can understand it. I'm not saying I agree. I'm not saying I would necessarily have done the same thing if I was in Joe Douglas's shoes. But I can understand that more of an exception then we have to take Devontae Wyatt regardless of these issues. I think there's some other guys they can take that are issue-free. And as good as Devontae Wyatt is, I don't think he's so good to outclass those issues. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I, I I don't see it as a possibility right now. Uh, where the, where there's smoke, there's, there's most likely fire. Uh, and the fact that it's not being talked about kind of leads me to believe it's more true than not. And teams uh, already know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, usually, the the rumor mill starts uh, with with about players, and you you kind of need to take that with a, with a grain of salt. But it, it's the things that kind of lurk under the surface that aren't being talked about that those I take a little bit more seriously. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't think he's really that much of a possibility. Uh, I've seen uh, uh, the talks about a uh, uh, on Winfrey from Oklahoma. Uh, but I think he's yes. more of a three tech. I don't know if he really fits that mold as a one tech. Um, ideally. Yes. He is better as a three tech. I, I really think Winfrey's a lot more of a victim of Oklahoma's scheme than people realize mm -hmm. because there's no reason they should have had him playing zero. He was their outright nose tackle and that's just not where he fits. It's not where his body is best. And I, I really think that, his frame screams three tech and even honestly, it almost screams five tech, but it, in terms of interior guys, 
I like him as an option if he's going to be playing three tech. I think he's going to get drafted a little bit higher than people realize because I think defensive line coaches will know that. And if he's there at 35, would I consider it? Yes. But like we've said, the Jets need, I think really in terms on the interior, at least they need guys that can get after the quarterback, but they need guys that can stop the run more. Yeah, we need it. We need a Foley replacement more so than we need a Rankins replacement. Very true, I would because... love to have a guy that can do both, but mm-hmm. if I'm picking between those two, that's what I would do. Exactly. At the end of the day, we have Rankins. Uh, Rank Rankins is under contract, uh, um, as I see on uh, over the cap. Oh yeah, I'm just I'm assuming he was going to get cut because it was so much savings if he did. Oh, there hasn't been any mentions yeah. about it, so it's like a there was like a post June one. There's like X amount of time, but if he is brought back, then that even reinforces my point more that we need a run yeah. stuffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. With Rankins, with Franklin Myers, uh, and even Shepard and Marshall, really, and 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 Solomon Thomas. There's yeah enough people there that to kind of fill. Uh, that three tech L Marshall's more maybe inside, but he hasn't really shown as much. Um, they're hoping like, Marshall becomes Jordan Davis. They're hoping, but uh, there's... that was, yeah, that was the, you know, he had a 10 RAS, but he had no idea what he was doing on tape. And so this was, <laughs> we'll take him in the sixth round and just let him stash him for two years and try and teach him how to be a defensive tackle. Um, exactly. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. got a, a large cliff to climb to really get to where, to get to a point where we should put any kind of eggs in that basket. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, we, we most definitely need to address this. Um, maybe what do you think of uh, Haskell Garrett from Ohio state? Uh, I think he's shown the ability that that would really kind of thrive in our defense. Uh, he's got, he gets sufficient movement at the, the point of attack. He's got strong, quick hands. Um, his upper body, uh, he's able to get really skinny and, and, and penetrate with that. Uh, I think he's he's got the the ability to penetrate. And I, don't, I don't think he's that bad against the run either, where that would be a weakness where we would have to look at him as only a third down guy. Yeah. No, I, I like him. Um, I don't know if he would be a guy I would take before the third round, like you said. Oh, yeah, the more um, middle rounds, maybe even the fourth round I have. Them. At fourth round, I f- would feel a little more comfortable with. Um, here's my thing with uh, Haskell Garrett in particular. He has 31 and 5 eighth inch arms. Very short arms. Very short arms. Like, shorter than Aiden Hutchinson's. That's how short they are. And he's 6'2", 300 pounds. So he's not the most amazingly huge defensive tackle and he's got really short arms. So I'm a little worried about how he's going to handle against longer interior players in the NFL that can get their hands on first. I like the potential as a penetrator. I agree that he does a good job of being able to get skinny um, and angle his body to get through contact. But you know what, Matt? If we're on looking for this type of guy, the the shorter, squatty, smaller defensive tackle that can get skinny and shoot gaps, you know who I like a hell of a lot better than Haskell Garrett? And it's someone you taught me about a year ago. Ooh, Demetrius Taylor from Appalachian State. Yes. I oh, adore him. I absolutely adore him. For those who don't know who Demetrius Taylor is, Demetrius Taylor is a player that Matt told me about uh, when we were first before we even formulated the idea for this podcast, 
um, a year ago. And he ultimately decided to go back to school as a late um, declaration because last year was COVID included. So they pushed back the time that players could decide they wanted to go back. Um, He was a late declaration to go back to App State as a fifth year senior um, and eventually went back to school. But I loved him last year and I loved him again this year. And Haskell Garrett, 6'2", 300 pounds, 31 and 5 eighth inch arms. You look over at Demetrius Taylor, 6'1", 290, 32 and a quarter inch arms. So one inch shorter, 10 pounds lighter with arms that are uh, more than a half inch longer. Yeah. He's quicker than Haskell Garrett. Very quick. I think his hand use is better. I think he's just as good at getting skinny and knifing into blocks. And Demetrius Taylor, this is something I saw on Twitter a while ago, has over 150 career pressures. That's, that's quite a lot for a college player. <laughs> that Think about five years, five years of college playing, 154 career pressures is 30 pressures a year from the interior. That's a ton. That is a ton. In 12 games. In 12 games, two and a half pressures from the interior career per game. That's really good. That's, and I think really he has good. a lot of value outside too. I think he could play defensive end on on uh, early downs also. I've, he's I, done it I, at App State. He, I mean, he, I want to sit here and say his build makes me think otherwise, but they just put him wherever they want on the defensive line, and all he does is go out and beat the guy in front of him. So I this I don't know how this dude isn't talked about more. He's likely there's he's not there's no guarantee he gets drafted. No, this is not like a this not like a, he could be a fifth round pick. Yeah. No, this isn't even like a, oh, he could be a fifth round pick. This is a guy that could be an outright UDFA. And I'm saying right here, right now, he's better than Haskell Garrett. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've had him as a fourth round pick as well. Uh, yep. So I, I, I would draft him for sure. Uh, I think he did his best work last year. Uh, his production uh, really stood out last year, especially at edge. Uh, yeah, he reminded me. Oh, I, I can't think of his name right now from Houston last year. Uh, I can't oh, remember. Um, um, oh, Peyton Turner, yes, yeah, Peyton Turner with his ability, uh, to really just take up space as a run defender, but also being so quick off the ball, uh, to be able to knife in and out, uh, even have, and he had Ben too at this size, six one two ninety, and he his bull rush reps were ridiculous. And uh, for, a guy, for a guy with wild. with thirty two inch arms, for his ability to get in the chest of offensive tackles and knock them on their ass, to just, just outright so cool. dominate them with strength and power and quickness, is it lower competition? Yes, that's a concern. Yes. Is the size a question? Absolutely. Is the fact that he's a fifth-year senior a question? Yes. As you would expect, if he was good enough last year to come out, he would have been. And clearly, he got word from the league that he probably wasn't going to be that high of a pick. Doesn't seem like much has changed this year. There's questions about this guy. There's a reason he's a mid-to-later-round player. But I'm willing to bang the table for him because I watch the tape, and I see a, a bunch of ways that he makes up for his lack of measurables. He's 150,000% all gas, no brakes. Motor runs like like the surface of mercury hot. <laughs> and and those are the type of guys you bet on as later round picks to outplay their draft position, to outplay their measurables, to go on and make something of a career that just find a way to get it done. And I just, 
I, I can't get enough of him. For anyone that was watching DeMarco Jackson, their linebacker at App State, just come downhill and smack whatever running back he wanted between the offensive tackles. Nine times out of 10, the reason he was able to do that was because Demetrius Taylor was ruining whatever game plan the offensive line had and creating a lane for Jackson to shoot through. So yeah. I'm, I, I, this guy, I'm going to be following him wherever he goes because I've had it in my gut for over a year now that he's going to be a solid player in the NFL and he's going to outplay his position and he fits our defense. It's not like this is a guy that, that we're, we're having to make room for. There's no reason. Why can't Solomon Thomas fit? If, if Demetrius Taylor can't, they're going to play the same role. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, huge fan. Uh, he, his production definitely took a hit this year. Uh, but as you can see from DeMarco Jackson's production, he, he, he was, a, a strong beneficiary of what Taylor was able to yeah. do out there. Um, Last thing I'm going to say about him, not to yep. cut you off, but this is Demetrius Taylor is the king of uh, what Chris Sims calls mind my French, the F the play up stat where it doesn't get counted as a tackle. It doesn't get counted as a sack. It doesn't get counted as whatever, but it's the guy who just knifes into the backfield and ruins the game plan where if, if it's a run play to the left and Taylor is playing on the strong side, he's going to beat the guard to his spot, get around him, get into the backfield and force an early cutback. And DeMarco Jackson's going to get credit for the tackle. And he's going to get the T- TFL on the stat sheet, but it wouldn't have happened without Demetrius Taylor effing the play up and, and ruining the game plan to start with there. He's his production goes way beyond the stat sheet and it's good on the stat sheet too. Absolutely. And you know, I know this fan base is really allergic to, to taking defensive tackles pretty high. Uh, so I feel like this would probably be a lot more tolerable to a lot of people is if Definitely. we miss, miss out on Davis or, uh, or Jones. Uh, and we, and we look more to the, the late rounds, the middle or late rounds, or even undrafted free agency. Uh, I think that's probably gonna be a lot more tolerable to this fan base. I think so too. I think so too. Matt, who do you want to highlight next? Hey, I don't know. <laughs> There's not a lot of people here. Uh, no, there isn't. Maybe, uh, let's go with Mathis from uh, from Alabama. That would have been my uh, next guy. I, I, I like the way he is very stout against the run. He's he's also got good length. Uh, and he's even racked up a good amount of sacks this year. I think around seven sacks. Um, so he's got the ability to, to make it work on passing downs. Uh, I, I, so I, I think he's... But he's, I think he's a little bit more suited towards the run. Uh, so definitely uh, more of a one tech uh, and an early down guy. Uh, uh, he might fit better uh, in the three, four as a, as a five attack. But uh, I, I still think that he, um, I'm not as a five, as a, as a nose, but at, at, I think he would definitely survive in our, in our uh, defense, maybe as a late, as, as a late third, maybe early fourth round pick. Um, I, I can definitely see it. Uh, he, he comes from a stout foundation at, at Alabama. Uh, a lot of good defensive guys. tackles. Yeah, and you, you name a, a defensive tackle. There's a good chance it came from Alabama because they just hit that often. Uh, it's it's it's. Uh, I, I like this guy a lot. Yeah, I like him too. Um, I agree with you that I think for our scheme, he's a one tech only, and that he just doesn't quite have. He had a good amount of sacks this year. A lot of them were coverage sacks. And that's having a guy that can clean up on coverage sacks is important because you don't want quarterbacks to just be able to scramble all day and make plays off schedule. So it's not like that counts for nothing, but it's a little bit different than um, a little bit different than if he were to be 
an outright explosive interior pass rusher like a Demetrius Taylor or a Perry and Winfrey. But as a one tech who stops the run, he does it really, really well. Um, what I wrote with him in my notes is that he doesn't give ground and he doesn't get ground. And that when he's playing the run, no one moves him. You're not moving him off his spot. He's going to be stout. He's going to hold his ground. You are not going to get a, a push off the line from the inside, but he's not always going to be the guy that's pushing back and, and getting into the backfield and getting penetration. He's going, his losses are stalemates where he's just not going to give up any ground. And that's the worst you're going to see out of him for run defense. And the Jets need a guy like that. The same reason we're interested in Jordan Davis, it would be the same reason for Padarian Mathis with the ability on the interior to be stout, not give up ground and, and stop the run on the inside. That's what he does best. And Alabama has a long line of defensive tackles, um, too many to go through and name over the last handful of years, including one on our own roster and Quinn Williams, uh, that there's a lot of track record to believe that he's going to be a success. Yeah. That said, I think of all the defensive tackles come out of Alabama in the last five years or so, Fidarian Mathis is the worst one. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, that's the bar is so high there. that Exactly. <laughs> that even he could be a pretty decent NFL pro. And, and he's still a top 50 pick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, with our defense, we've just had so much trouble tackling. Uh, and I yeah. really like guys that are sure-handed up front. Uh, he's got a 4.9 missed tackle percentage rate Oof. over his career, which is incredible. <laughs> that is very good. Wow. I didn't know that, but holy crap, that is low. A lot of that has to do with his arm length, he, his ability to wrap up so well uh it, it's invaluable especially with the troubles that we've had yeah yeah i agree um this is my thing with him i don't know if the jets are ever going to be in range to get him because i think 35 and 38 is definitely too high too high i don't think he gets to 69 mm, okay yeah so it, so that's it, kind of for me it's like i think he's going to be picked between 38 and 69 i think he's going to be where did Christian Barmore get drafted? Like 48th. Like I could see him going like 54. Like he's going to, I think he's going to go in the second round or at the worst, the very, very beginning of the third. I just have a hard time seeing him get to 69. If he is, if he does, and the jets haven't taken a defensive tackle yet, it's an easy pick. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, it's, he's probably falls right into that. No man's land for us. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, he's a little bit older too. He's going to be, 24 but for his rookie season so maybe that drops him a little bit that's uh, true probably maybe not uh and so it's hard to say uh the defensive tackle is not the the deepest position right now in this draft uh so if we can nail one early with davis yeah. or jones in the second if we get lucky enough for him to drop there then great uh, after that it gets a little bit more of a yeah. question mark uh so it kind of it kind of uh, puts an exclamation mark on the need to maybe go after Davis early or right. trade back in for a guy like Jones uh, because of this uncertainty and the back end. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, it's it's an interesting position because defensive tackle is one of the lightest positions in this draft class in terms of talent. There just is not a ton of it, and it's one of the Jets' major needs. So when you have those two things aligned you can make the argument that it's more important and more pressing to go and get your defensive tackle potentially earlier. 
Um, we know the fan base would hate it. We know that in general, most people would be upset because they would need a receiver. And they're probably right. To be honest, I'd probably agree with the fans in that scenario. But it's not like it is not a possibility. And so I think it's smart to always lay out the possibilities um, and give yourself options so you're not pigeonholed. And unfortunately, the Jets are pigeonholed at receiver, and that's why we feel this way. But right now, defensive tackle, it's absolutely an option. Um, and I think it's going to be an option earlier than people think or maybe even than they want. Agreed. All right. I think this could be a fun little end segment, just as we've gone through all these guys here, Matt. I want you to go ahead and take one guy from uh, each position here and give me, even if it's some guys we didn't mention, because we mainly only highlighted guys that we liked, give me your best and worst groups of four, assuming the Jets get one at every spot, which we don't have to be realistic here, just guys that you like and guys that you wouldn't want. What's your dream foursome of an OT, an IOL, a DE, and a DT, and what would be your worst four? Am I going if I took all four at our at our positions in the draft at any like, point in the draft, you can have anybody at any point in the draft, but assuming that again, what uh, taking other needs outside of it, just trying to get a feel for this draft class and these positions and who you would prefer and who you wouldn't prefer best case uh-huh. scenario for you of combination. And then worst case combination. Perfect. All right. Well, in that case, I'd go, uh, Thibodeau at four, because even as much as I love JJ, I still think that the the sky's the limit for for Thibodeau. Uh, I think if he even gains a little bit more weight uh, and can be more of the edge setter that JJ is, uh, that's uh, he can be the complete edge uh, and the perfect complement to Lawson. I would take him at four. Uh, then I would probably go Davis at ten and uh, really solidify that defensive line. Uh, that it's the, the bones of our defense and we really need to solidify it as, as, as soon as possible. If we want our defense to really follow into the, the mold that, that we're, we want to build here. Yep. Uh, then I would go strange at pick 69. Uh, and I would groom him to be, uh, maybe the future center. Uh, I think he's got that potential. And in the meantime, he can be great depth uh just all along the inside of the of our offensive line and then i would probably go volson from no was it north dakota state north dakota, uh, state, yep. north dakota state uh maybe in the fourth or fifth round probably the fifth round uh he's another big guy that moves very well uh he's got uh experience inside and outside yep played uh, right so tackle this versatility year. Uh, he's he's got a good anchor, good strength. I I could definitely see him fitting uh, our offense well. Uh, as and, we know, the NDSU offense is a direct translation to ours. Exactly. So it's I, I think it's the the fit is is there. Uh, and I think between the uh, with all four of those guys, I think we have we would we can comfortably say that we have solidified our trenches. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be on board. Um, would not be against any of those guys. Uh, if I had to pick four, my first two are identical to you in Kayvon and Jordan Davis, uh, at four and 10 after that, um, I'm taking Zach Tom at 38 and, uh, go ahead and give me Cade Mays, uh, at interior because I like his potential and his versatility. I think you can draft Cade Mays and have a backup in two spots rather than just one. And Zach Tom, I just think, 
Zach Tom to me is like, I'm, I was down on Rashawn Slater last year and was wrong about it. I'm not going to make the same mistake again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because once you hit those metrics, it, it, it should send off a, a, a lot of bells in your head and like, oh, right, this yeah. is the guy that we need to watch. And he hit all of them. All of them. Yeah. I, I legitimately think that, again, I think Zach Tom is probably going to go too high for the Jets to take as a mid-round depth option. But if he's there at 69, the the talent versus available other positions, the Jets might have another starter need that they need to fill at 69. If Zach Tom is there, I don't care. I, I, I He could be your backup tackle. He could probably be your backup center too. Yeah, the, the value is too strong. Yeah. Uh, all right, worst case, what's your, what's your nightmare? Nightmare? Uh, that would be, let's see if uh, JJ and Thibodeau are, are gone. Uh, and maybe even Hutch, uh, then we overdraft uh, an edge with too much risk in Walker. Yep. And uh, we have to, we're forced to to wait on his development and may, might not be come soon enough. And I feel like that could really sink us. Uh, worst can, uh, scenario of defensive tackle is we miss out on the top guys. Uh, and any of the guys that we mentioned don't really become starters. Uh, maybe we take uh, 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 Thomas in, in the fifth or as an undrafted free agency, a free agent. But at the same time, there's a lot more risk there of him not being the starter that we need. Ooh. Yeah, sure. He, he has the room to the potential to really develop into a guy that would really fit well. But at the same time, he's not there yet. Um, coming from the small school. So I could see that being an issue uh, because we don't have the starter right now. Uh, along the offensive line, uh, if maybe if we overdraft the tackle, um, even if it's a guy like Godecki who I like, I just don't like the idea of taking a tackle that early. Uh, maybe I, that, that should be my worst case scenario at, at four is if we take a tackle early and just cause – a nightmare situation where you might be right about that. I didn't even think, but, but you might actually be right that the worst case scenario might be getting one of the better offensive tackles at four. Right. I mean, it's kind of a good news, bad news kind of thing. Like, Hey, yeah, you're getting a great tackle, but at the same time, but he's not going to play. So who cares? Yeah, exactly. It's that, that, that's probably my nightmare scenario. And then throw Walker in at 10. Um, and then, uh, as far as in interior guys, I mean, there's there's only a handful of guys I really like that uh, as mid round, late round guys. Uh, like yeah, Tom Strange, May, mm-hmm. uh, Volson. Outside of them, there's really not a lot. Uh, there's there's guys with with potential, but like Jurgens. But at yeah. the same time, I just wouldn't get excited about anybody else really. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely, um, I absolutely could see it. Um, defensive end, we're in lockstep and that it's Trevon Walker because the Jets need an impact player and Trevon Walker could be great in five years or three years or somewhere in that range. Joe Douglas and Joe, Robert Sala might not be on the team anymore in that amount of time. So they don't have the time to wait for this guy to get developed. Uh, I'm right there with you. Double so for Trevor Penning at offensive tackle. Oh, where, uh, Penning at four. Penning in general. I Penning period. 
uh, there's I'm I am out. I just I small school. If you're going to be a small school guy, you want to dominate. And he dominated physically, but it wasn't in any other way than just throwing dudes around that were smaller than he was not in a not in a sense of this is a schemed offensive line approach with technique where there's thinking behind it. It's just uncontrolled aggression at all times. And then he you watch him on tape and it the way I described it on Twitter before is him getting up to linebackers. is like watching a toddler chase a dog around the living room. <laughs> it's just it, it, it's the the lack of angles the awareness it's sad at times because he's such a good athlete you would expect him to be able to do it and he just doesn't and just doesn't. this isn't and this isn't top competition he's playing he's playing at northern iowa like that's it, it's a a major 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 concern um interior guys darian canard um i was higher on him before i have watched more tape i have realized his feet are very slow I have realized his balance is questionable um, for as big as he is. I think his strength is a little overrated and there's some, this is me personally might annoy some of our listeners by saying this, but quite honestly, I don't really care. Um, I'm not interested in anybody that's pushing anti-vaccine narratives and that's been Darian Kennard's thing. So if, that to me questions, sorry, questions intelligence. How, are you going to have your head screwed on straight if that's the stuff you're believing and you're willing to push and have your name attached to you while you're a draft prospect? So I don't know about all of that. Um, leave me out on Darian Kennard for that aspect. Uh, and finally, that leaves us the defensive tackle. And who is the defensive tackle that I absolutely nightmare scenario uh, interior guys, it's overdrafting Fedarian Mathis. Mm-hmm. It's taking him at 35 or 38 because you absolutely need somebody at defensive tackle and people are going to expect him to be a lot more functional of a player at the top of the second round than I think his potential has to be. Yeah, especially, yeah, if he definitely goes that high, that's that's an issue. Uh, you, But I, for some reason, yeah, I, I don't think JD is the kind of guy that would ever overdraft uh I, I think he has a value for everybody and he takes everybody around that value um so thankfully i i don't think that will be a problem for us but if he's there at 69 uh, if he's there at 69 i think it's going to be really hard to pass him up and i think you can say that about a lot of these guys which is hard it's it's making me kind of wish the jets had more picks between 38 and 69 um but they have their main needs that they need to fill and they really need their top four fix to fill those needs. So it's it's kind of a double edged sword. You yeah. can't get you can't do everything in this one offseason. The team won four games last year, and I know Cincinnati all well and good. That's great, good for them. I, let's not make that the 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 immediate goal. Let's not make that the 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 target plan to where we're exactly trying to follow. And if the Jets aren't in the Super Bowl next year, it was a failed uh, offseason. That's not how I'm judging this team. The not even close. Yeah, I mean, we're not even really building like they are because they kind of ignored offensive line. Their offensive line was not very good. So no, and they already had other receivers. Their receiving core when they drafted Jamar Chase was better than ours now. Yeah, and they're so, they're building yeah. just completely different. Um, so I I think our goal is more maybe along the lines of San Francisco. The the model that the Jets should follow is the Buffalo model where they gave Josh Allen every bit of help he could ask for in his second year. 
and said, we have a defensive coach in Sean McDermott who will figure out the rest. Yeah. I, that's, that's how I think you got to do it because especially with this scheme, you need a lead for it to function properly. Um, yeah. Uh, to, to, to round things out here, um, the Jets will be drafting trench players. It will be likely early in the draft and then not for a while, but this is going to be an important part of the team for years and years to come. And they have major holes that need to be filled. We have our stakes in the guys we want. I like to think that we're pretty good at matching our assumptions to what the jets need. And the reason we like guys is because they fit what we need, not the other way around. So the guys we've handed out, I really do think it's Kayvon or Jermaine at fourth overall. Quite honestly, if Kayvon is there, I think he's the pick. And if not, it's Jermaine, as you said, 10th overall is going to be a wide receiver and 35 or 38 is going to be a safety. Probably. Fill, in, fill in where you want outside of that, but that's 12 days to the draft. That's how I see it. Yep. Well, it, the trenches are going to be first stop no matter what. Yep. And they, they always we, will be. They always will be. All right. Well, that does it for this episode. It has been a quite long one, but we had some time to catch up for because of the interruption. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for listening so much. We are going to be back next week to continue our breakdown with some linebackers. That is going to be fun. We realized that in the middle of recording this, it might be a bigger need than we realized. Uh, (laughs) So we're going to have some fun talk to get into with that. Also, make sure to get in the defensive back breakdown before the end and make sure you guys stay tuned for the war room on the day of the draft. When that comes out, thank you, everyone, again for listening. Matt, let's go ahead and drop our socials and call this one an episode. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. And you can find me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. And make sure you guys follow at OKD podcast as well. Thank you again so much for listening. And we will be back real soon. Bye bye. (laughs) 